In connection with Lord's Day 48 and the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, we read for our scripture reading Matthew 13, a portion of Matthew 13. We're going to begin reading at verse 24 and read through verse 52. In this passage, Jesus begins his ministry of parables in Galilee by the seaside. And those parables, by and large, have to do with the kingdom of God. Matthew 13, verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, Didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun 
in the kingdom of their Father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto <clears throat> treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man selling, seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus saith unto them, Have ye understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord. Then said he unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. We read the Holy Scriptures that far. Let's consider the teaching of our Catechism in Lord's Day 48. Which is the second petition? Thy kingdom come, that is, Rule us so by thy word and spirit that we may submit ourselves more and more to thee. Preserve and increase thy church. Destroy the works of the devil and all violence which would exalt itself against thee and also all wicked counsels devised against thy holy word till the full perfection of thy kingdom take place wherein thou shalt be all in all. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the second petition that our Lord teaches us to pray in his model prayer is, Thy kingdom come. The second petition is related to the first petition. We saw in Lord's Day 47, the first petition is, Hallowed be thy name. Let thy name be magnified and glorified. That's first. The second petition is related to that because the name of God will be most glorified when his kingdom fully comes. Let thy name be magnified by the coming of thy kingdom. That's what we are to pray. A petition, as we saw before, is a request. It's a request that arises out of a heart of longing. The Christian heart that longs for something, but which 
the Christian knows he is not able to do, or he is not able to accomplish for himself or by himself. That's why he prays for it. So we see in petitions that there is a longing and there is a need, a recognition of that need, too. The question before us this afternoon is, do we need and do we long for the coming of God's kingdom? The coming of God's kingdom, not the coming of our kingdom, not the fulfillment of our hopes and dreams, but the coming of God's kingdom. Is that precious to you? Do you desire that? Because if you desire it, you will pray for it. And indeed, the more deeply and fervently you desire it, the more fervently and frequently you will pray for it. In the passage that we read, among the many parables that Jesus taught, two of them point out the preciousness of the kingdom. Verse 44, the kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field for which when a man has found it in that field, he hides it and for joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. It's so precious to him. And then in verse 45, the kingdom is like a merchant seeking goodly pearls. He's going about from marketplace to marketplace looking for the best pearls available. And then suddenly one day he finds the pearl he has been seeking. One pearl of great price. And he sells all that he has to buy that pearl. Is the kingdom that precious to you? That you'd be willing to give up all that you have in life? To have it, to have the kingdom. When our love for the things of this world decreases and our love for the kingdom increases, then we make the second petition more urgently and more frequently than ever before. So let's consider it together. Praying for the coming of God's kingdom. Notice, first of all, its establishment in history. That's what we pray for. Secondly, we pray for its victory over the devil. And thirdly, we pray for its full perfection in eternity. In the first place, the second petition means that we are to pray for the establishment of the kingdom of God in history. We are to pray for that, first of all, in all the world. We are to pray for the coming of the kingdom in all of the world. And as the Catechism teaches us, what that means is this. We are to pray, preserve and increase thy church. And that's a prayer for the universal church, first of all. For the one holy Catholic Church. There are those who do not believe that the kingdom is the church or that the kingdom comes through the coming of the church. They believe the kingdom and the church are two different things. The kingdom is for the Jews and the church is for the Gentiles. But the Catechism teaches us here clearly that when we pray, Thy kingdom come, we're praying for the establishment of the church. We're praying for the gathering of the church, the building of the church 
in all the nations of the world. And we're praying, therefore, for the preaching of the gospel in all nations. Now let me point out, first of all, that the kingdom of God has already come into the world. And that really is the announcement of the gospel. The kingdom of God has already come. The kingdom of God has come when God sent his son into the world, the Messiah, who was born king of the Jews, who died as king of the Jews, who accomplished salvation, and through the shedding of his blood, established the foundation of the kingdom of God and secured the kingdom of God for all eternity and then arose and ascended up into heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ has been building the kingdom of God throughout all of history. The kingdom of God already came in the Old Testament in the nation of Israel. God built up his kingdom when he built up the kingdom of David, when he gathered his church from the Jews in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, when our Lord ascended into heaven, he continued to build up the kingdom of God through the preaching of the gospel. He sent forth his apostles into the nations to preach the gospel to all people. Jesus speaks of that too in the parables that he taught his disciples. In this chapter, he has taught them the parable of the sower. We didn't read that. It's earlier in the chapter. He has taught the parable of the tares and the wheat, which we did read. And he teaches the parable of the fishing net. And all of those parables speak of the preaching of the gospel that goes forth into the world to build up the kingdom. In the parable of the sower, he speaks of a farmer going out and sowing his seed. And he says that seed is the word of the kingdom. That's in verse 18 and 19. But then in the parable of the tares and the wheat, he speaks of the sowing of seed again. But now the the figure changes and the seed is the children of the kingdom. So the Lord teaches that The Son of God sends forth preachers into the field of the world to sow the seed of the word of the gospel. And by that sowing of the word, he sows the children of the kingdom. By the preaching of his word and the power of the Holy Spirit, the children of the kingdom are sown in the field of the world. And the kingdom comes. Similarly, in his parable of the fishing net, he speaks of the fact that the kingdom of heaven is like a net cast into the sea, verse 47, and it gathers of every kind. That net was a drag net. They would toss it from the boat and they would drag it through the sea and they would catch many different kinds of fish. That refers to the preaching of the word of God in all the nations. Gathering out of the nations the many different kinds of peoples that God has chosen to redeem. So the Lord is teaching us in these parables that the kingdom has come and is coming through the preaching of the word in the world. And that's a historical fact. We find that too recorded in the New Testament and through church history that they began in the city of Jerusalem to preach the gospel. They moved forth into Samaria and into Antioch to the north. They traveled to Cyprus, 
And on those missionary journeys, they brought the gospel into Asia Minor, into Greece, and all the way to Italy, to Rome, as well as throughout North Africa. The gospel went eastward into India in the days of the apostles. And after the apostles, their successors who stood on their shoulders, ministers and preachers, brought the gospel into the northern lands of Europe. The gospel spread over the oceans into the Americas and into Asia and the great nations of Asia and the islands of the sea. Over hundreds and hundreds of years, the kingdom has been coming and it continues to come. One of the parables Jesus taught was that the kingdom is like a mustard seed, which is so tiny at first, but you plant it and it grows into a great, great herb and the birds make their nest in its branches. So also the kingdom was planted in Jerusalem as a very small thing, the gathering of disciples around Jesus, but it has grown and grown and grown so that the church has spread into all nations of the world. The kingdom has come. But the kingdom has not yet fully come. That's why our Lord teaches us to pray the second petition. Thy kingdom come. We know that the kingdom has not yet fully come because Christ has not returned yet. That's how we know. That's how we can keep track of when the kingdom has fully come. Has Christ come yet? No. He has not yet returned. And therefore we know the kingdom is still coming. The kingdom is still being established in the nations of the world. And therefore, as Christians in the kingdom, we are to pray, let thy kingdom come. And that means, first of all, let it be established in all nations. Do you make that prayer? Do you pray for the coming of the kingdom in all nations of the world? Do you pray for the building up of the universal church of Christ in all nations? That means many things practically. We don't just pray the specific words, thy kingdom come, but by that our Lord teaches us to pray for the preaching of the gospel. Do you pray for that? Do you pray that the Lord will raise up men who will sow the seed of the gospel in the world, men who will cast the net of the gospel in the nations? Do you pray for those men who have already been called and sent to do the preaching of the gospel near and far? The men whom you know, do you pray for them by name? Do you pray for the seminary of our own denomination, for the professors there who teach young men to be sowers of the seed and casters of the net, to be ministers of the word and sacraments. Do you pray for that regularly in your personal and family prayers and here in our congregational prayers? It means that we pray for mission fields, for the specific mission fields that we know about. For us, we pray for our Protestant Reform mission field in the Philippines. We pray for the coming of the kingdom there, the establishment of the church, the spread of the gospel. And when we receive newsletters and we see presentations and we learn specific names of ministers and churches and outreaches in the Philippines, we pray for those specific things because our heart is there. Our heart longs for the full coming of the kingdom. 
and whatever other mission labors that you are aware of in your personal experience, do we pray for those things. We are to pray for the establishment of the universal church, generally and specifically as much as we are able. And then we are to pray not only for the missionaries and the mission preaching that it goes out into the world, but then when churches are established, we are to pray too that those churches will be preserved and increased and that God will continue them in their generations through their children after them. That first of all. In the second place, when we are to pray for the establishment of the kingdom in history, that also means we pray for our own local church. Wingham Protestant Reformed Church. And for the coming of our, the kingdom in our own personal lives as well. Once again, the good news is that the kingdom has already come. The kingdom has already come right here. Right in our congregation. Right in our midst. The kingdom is here. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of Christ has come because the Lord Jesus has sent into your midst in past years men to preach the word, to sow the seed, and to cast the net. And that preaching of the word by the power of the Spirit has drawn you into the net of the kingdom and brought you to a living faith in Christ. The Lord has given you children and grandchildren and built up the congregation through the years. He has preserved the congregation even through very hard and troublesome times. The kingdom of God is come, but it's not yet fully come. It's not yet fully come in our personal lives, and we know that because we're still here. We will know that the kingdom has fully come for us personally when we depart from this life and go into heaven. But as long as we're here on the earth, the kingdom is still coming in our lives, in your life. That's why the Catechism teaches us to pray, Rule us so by thy word and spirit that we may submit ourselves more and more to thee, the king. The kingdom has already come. We are in the kingdom. We've been born again. We've been converted. We've been brought to a true faith in Christ. We're in the kingdom. And yet we are still to pray, Let thy kingdom come in my life. That is, God, rule over us by thy word and spirit so that we might submit to thee more and more. Do any of us perfectly submit to the king? When the king through the gospel calls us to believe, to come to him and to trust in him with all of our heart, do we submit to that divine summons perfectly? Do we have a perfect faith that is always perfectly fixed upon Christ, leaning on him, depending and trusting in him? No, we don't. And that's why we are to pray, rule over me so that when I hear the call to faith, I submit myself to that call and I believe. When the preaching calls us to repent of our sin, to set aside the sin that easily besets us, 
Do we perfectly submit to that divine summons? Do we always readily, cheerfully, eagerly repent, change, and set down our sins? No. And that's why we pray to our King that He will rule over us by His Word and Spirit to break our obstinate hearts, to humble us and soften us to repentance. The gospel calls us to an obedient life of thankfulness within the kingdom to cultivate the virtues found in the Beatitudes, to be merciful and to be peacemakers and to be pure of heart and to be poor in spirit and all the rest. Do we do those things perfectly? Do we live a vibrant, thankful, zealous life abounding in good works all the time? No. That's why we need to pray. Let thy kingdom come in my life so that I will more and more submit to the commandments of my king and obey. And when it comes to praying for our local church, we are praying that that preaching of the gospel might continue to go forth from our pulpit that we will continue to have in our pulpit a person to sow the seed of the word in our hearts, to cast the net for our own salvation and for the salvation of our children, so that we can bring our children to church and we can know that the seeds will be cast and planted into their hearts, that they too might grow up as regenerated, converted children of the kingdom. And they might know themselves to be the children of Zion and to live godly lives. We pray for that, don't we? We pray for specific things for our own children, for the children of the church. We pray that we can build up a Christian school again. We pray that we can have good catechism instruction, that our children will learn and grow in the knowledge of God and the love of God. That's the coming of the kingdom. That in the first place. In the second place, the catechism teaches us that the second petition means we pray for the victory of the kingdom of God over the devil. Destroy the works of the devil and all violence which would exalt itself against thee and also all wicked counsels devised against thy holy word. Once again, the gospel, the good news, is that this has already happened in principle. This has already been accomplished by Jesus Christ. The devil is our enemy. Jesus teaches in the parable of the tares and the wheat that there is an enemy who is also lurking in the field of the world and he's planting tares in the field. The field is God's field. The world is God's world. And God is planting his seeds, his children there. But there's an enemy. And the enemy is lurking through the field planting weeds And Jesus says that enemy is the devil. The devil has been doing this from the beginning of time. 
Already in the family of Adam and Eve, he planted a tear in their son Cain. And Cain murdered his brother Abel. In the family of Isaac and Rebekah, he planted a tear, Esau, who hated and chased away his brother Jacob. In the family of David, he planted a tear, Absalom, who rebelled against his father and raised up a revolution in Israel. Even in the twelve disciples of our Lord, he planted a tear, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed our Lord. He plants these tares not only in the instituted church, but he plants them in the whole world. In the Old Testament, he planted the nation of Egypt and Pharaoh to persecute the children of Israel. He planted the Canaanites to tempt them to worship their idols. He planted the tares of the Babylonians and the Assyrians to oppress the people of God. He planted heathen religions throughout the history of the world, in Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam and all the other heathen religions of the world. But also within the instituted church, he plants tares, hypocrites, wolves in sheep's clothing, heretics, false teachers, schismatics. And through all of these tares, he tries to destroy the kingdom of God but he fails. The gospel is that over against this enemy who tries so hard and labors so diligently to destroy the kingdom of God, God has sent his own son into the world and through the death of the cross has destroyed him in principle and secured the victory of the kingdom of God once and for all on the cross. In Lord's Day 1 of the Catechism, we confess that part of our only comfort in life and death and belonging to our faithful Savior is that he has destroyed all the power of the devil. The devil has no power to destroy any of the children of the kingdom. He has no power so much as to scratch the bricks of the walls of Zion. He has zero power because God has secured the salvation of his people and the coming of his kingdom through Christ. The devil would be pleased if he could just bring down one of God's elect people, if he could just dislodge one of the bricks from the walls of Zion and destroy it. But he's not able to do that. Yes, he will one day raise up the Antichrist. And Jesus warns that if it were possible, He will be so deceptive that even the elect will be deceived. But it's not possible. He will be so deceptive. He will be so powerful and so fearful. But he will not be able to deceive a single one of God's elect. The great truth of the preservation of the saints comes in here. As we read in John 10, the sheep are in the hands of the shepherd. And no one is able to pluck them out of his hands. The kingdom has come. The victory is there in the cross. And yet the Lord teaches us to pray. Thy kingdom come. And the catechism teaches us that that means that we pray, destroy the works of the devil. We have to pray for that. 
the devil is still in the world. Jesus teaches in that very same parable that the tares will be there until the end. The harvesters come and they say to the owner of the field, shall we pull up those tares? Shall we stop the enemy from planting those tares? And he says, no. Leave them alone. Let him plant his tares. Leave them there until the end. That's the will of God. The will of God is to leave the devil in the world, to let him go about his wicked business, planting his tares, trying to build his kingdom. And he calls us to pray for the destruction of it. Do you pray for that? Do you pray with fervency in your heart for the destruction of the works of the devil? That's what we're taught to pray. Remembering what Peter says, that the devil is like a lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. He roars after us. He roars after the sheep. As John saw in the vision of Revelation 12, he is like a great red dragon who has been already defeated, and so he's full of wrath. And he chases the woman throughout the world, breathing his fire after her, trying to catch her, trying to destroy her, knowing that his time is short. He's already lost, but he labors in his foolishness to try to establish his kingdom. And our Lord teaches us to pray for the destruction of it. God is pleased to give to us and to his church the enjoyment of that victory, the enjoyment of it, the assurance of it, the experience of it in the way of prayer. He wants us to be prayer warriors. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Lord teaches us that we are in a spiritual battle against spiritual powers. And after he tells us to put on the whole armor of God, the last thing he talks about is prayer. Praying. As you fight that battle, you should be praying, praying, praying for the destruction of your enemy. Now that means many things. We can apply that in so many ways. We have to pray for the universal church once again. That God will destroy the works of the devil throughout the world. As we are aware of those works of the devil, trying to plant seeds of false doctrine, heresies, schism, discord, division. As he tries to raise up violence and persecution against God and his church, we pray for the destruction of his works and all of his attempts. But we know most about our own local church and our own denomination. And so we are to pray especially that the Lord will destroy all the works of the devil in our own midst, in our own denomination. We know that the devil has his eyes on our seminary. We know that the devil wants to infiltrate that. We know that he wants to use our professors to spread heresies. So we should pray that the Lord will destroy those works of the devil, those demons that are, have their eyes on our seminary and are trying to spread heresies throughout the denomination and the world. You pray for the destruction of that. And in the Christian schools throughout our denomination, we know that the devil has his eyes on our children, on the children of the denomination, 
We know that he wants to infiltrate school, infiltrate school boards and teachers' boardrooms and to use teachers and principals and boards to wreak havoc and ruin and spiritual destruction among the children of Zion. Pray for the destruction of his works. And you know that the devil would love to to have his way with your own preacher, your own elders, your own deacon, and to use them for your spiritual ruin. You know that the devil tempts and tries to use us. You know that he wants to make us proud. You know that he wants to make us self-righteous. You know that he wants to fill our minds with heresies. Pray for the destruction of his works. Pray for that. And then pray, too, for the ultimate destruction of the devil and all of his works at the end of time. Remember, a petition is a request for something that we desire, something we long for, but we can't do. The Lord has assured us in this parable that at the end of the world, he will separate the wheat and the tares. And he will cast the tares into a furnace of fire to be burned for all eternity. Pray for that. Pray for the great day of the separation of the wheat from the tares. And for the casting of the devil and the Antichrist into the lake of fire that will burn with the brimstone because that will be the great victory of Christ in history, and that will be the great glory of our God. Finally, when the Lord teaches us to pray for the coming of the kingdom, the Catechism teaches us that this also means that we pray till the full perfection of thy kingdom take place, wherein thou shalt be all in all. This is a prayer about the most glorious thing, the full perfection of the kingdom of God. What could be more glorious than that? What could be more amazing than that? Kingdoms of the world rise and fall. Where is Babylon today? Where is mighty Assyria? Where is the Roman Empire? Where is Nazi Germany? They've all risen and had their day, and they've all perished. But the kingdom of God will last forever. An everlasting kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. You can't see it with your physical eyes. It's coming in all nations, in all tribes, in all languages of the earth, throughout all the world throughout all ages. Do you long for the full perfection of that kingdom? The full gathering of the church? The full realization of God's covenant with us? When we pray for the full perfection of the kingdom, that's a prayer of hope. We know that it's certain because it's been promised And it's our hope. It's a confident hope. So we don't pray for it as something that we're doubtful about, but we pray for it as something we know is coming, something we desire, we long for. 
And that's not a prayer then for a millennial kingdom on earth. You know that there are those who teach that when the Bible speaks about the kingdom of God, it's talking about an earthly kingdom. When the Bible speaks about praying for the coming of the kingdom, it's talking about the coming of a 1,000-year kingdom on earth. And if they are a post-millennialist, then what they mean is that that kingdom is going to come before Christ returns. So Christ will come after the kingdom. If they are a premillennialist, they believe that the kingdom will come after Christ returns. So Christ will come before the kingdom. But in both cases, they're expecting an earthly kingdom for a thousand years or more. That's not what we pray for. That's not what the Bible means by the kingdom of God. Jesus makes so clear that his kingdom is not of this world. If he was here to establish an earthly kingdom, why didn't he do it when he first came? Did he fail? He never fails. When he came, he established that kingdom because it's a spiritual kingdom. It's a heavenly kingdom, an eternal kingdom. Not of this world and not on this world. But it's a kingdom that will be fully perfected in the world to come. Right now we walk by faith. We can't see the kingdom. Right now we live in hope for the kingdom. We can't see it. We hope for it. It's spiritual. It's invisible. But we pray for it. For its full perfection in the kingdom to come. In the world to come. Our Lord assures us of that too in the parable of the wheat and the tares. When he says in verse 43 that after the wheat and the tares are separated, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. That's our hope. That's our prayer. For the day when we will shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. When this old world has been burned up when we have been rescued out of it and a new, everlasting world has been created in which God will be all in all. Do you long for that? Do you pray for that? Do you desire that? This present age in which we live, the history of this present world, you can think of it like the introduction to a book. It's the introduction. When you read the introduction of the book, it leads you into the book. The real thing, the main thing, the thing you really want is to read the book. So first comes the introduction, and then the book. Do you want to read the book? That's what is meant by this prayer, thy kingdom come. That's the longing of the Christian heart, to read the book. To enter into the everlasting kingdom. To see with our own resurrected eyes the king himself in all his glory. And to live with him there forever. That's such a great thing. 
That's so much greater than all the hopes and dreams that we have in this life. To have a good career, to make a good income, to have peace and prosperity and security in our land, to be free from persecution and all the rest, to have an enjoyable holiday season. How much better is the hope that we have of the glorious kingdom that will never end. If we desire that, then we'll pray for it. Thy kingdom come. Amen. Our Father, we thank Thee for the hope that we have in the coming kingdom. We thank Thee for the gospel that this kingdom has come and is coming and will most certainly come. And grant unto us now that being taught again in the school of prayer, we might be more urgent and more fervent in our longing prayers for the coming of that kingdom, for the glorious day of the coming of Christ, when all thy people will be gathered and will shine forth as the sun in thy kingdom. Now go with us as we go our homeward way. Go with us in the coming week. Keep us from harm and danger, especially of the spiritual kind. Forgive our sins and be merciful unto us in Christ.